Oh, right. Um, deep breath. How are you? I imagine that you might be feeling a lot like I have. Shaken. Troubled. Let down. Worried for the well-being of people on all sides of what's been going on. And full of questions. You, me and all of us at this morning gave our love and support to someone who was not telling the truth who acted in a way that they themselves felt they had to resign from ITV and step down from a career that they loved. This is a lot to process. And it's equally hard to see the toll that it's taken on their own mental health. I think what unites us all now is a desire to heal for the health and well-being of everyone. I hope that we start this new chapter with... Wait a second, what is... The... Oh, good Lord. It's the wrong script. What's this? Ah, do beg your pardon. Hello and welcome to this week's look at action and stunts from film... And television. So, here we are, June 6th, or actually May 17th, uh, the chance that we're uh, promoting this earlier on, we're recording it on that date, but it will be June 6th when you get a chance to listen to it, which will be the release date of Octopussy, back in 1983. Now, 40 years ago, uh, and there's due to be a celebration at the Neen Valley Railway in the not-too-distant future, uh, where cast members and crew members will get back together and will reminisce about their time down there. Big action set-piece down there, of course. And it's also, you know, I think it's very poignant that we take another look at Bob Simmons because Bob um, massively important to Bond and really massively important to cinema not only a stuntman but an excellent cameraman an excellent editor his work on Bond films changed the pace of the genre of the genre his work in film changed the pace of cinema these wonderful breakthrough fight routines that happen regardless of what movie he's on. It is a staple. The actor versus the other actor. They film that. Then you get the two stunt doubles. They film the fight. And then you have the pickup shot. Actor versus this stuntman or that actor versus the other stuntman. Whatever is required in that sequence, you get better shots. And Bob was in a situation where he says, I like what you did there. He'll go to the actor. That was very good. Um, I'd like you to do it again. This time, do it with the stunt double. And you'll get a better reaction from it. Don't change anything. Do exactly what you did there. And then on a slightly different occasion, he will say to the actor, I'm going to get you I'm going to double you for this moment here and then we'll have a cut and we'll cut back to you delivering the punch and then 
I'm going to have the stuntman do the remaining part of that with the other actor. It's not to say that you're no good at what you're doing, but I need to have that clinical finish, which, as you can appreciate, you can't deliver. The actor will either, nine times out of ten, will go, Bob, you're absolutely right. Or, are you kidding me? Ring my agent. That didn't happen very often. But nine times out of ten, it was very much a case of, yes, absolutely, I understand completely. Do whatever you need to do. Because they knew they were in safe hands. His knowledge of film allowed smooth movement for him, from a stunt performer to coordinator to action director and second unit directing. But without a credit. Why? Well wasn't qualified he hadn't got you needed to get to a certain standard you needed to be given an opportunity to do so in a in an official capacity now what had happened was that he had worked on a number of pictures and had very clearly directed that scene without question there are pictures uh there are there are pictures in the 60s in the 50s where already he is of a caliber where he can be be left with camera and do the job that's very clear and even later on in his career um will be conspiracy is a good example of where he was doing bits and pieces don't worry i'll sort this there's a there's a jeep section there's a chase scene uh, Michael Caine and Sidney Poitier in a jeep. He does a gag where he runs a jeep up a up a ramp and into a into a lake, whilst being in charge of sorting out the camera positions for that. Didn't take a credit for it because he wasn't allowed to do so. Hello, crime fans. I'm Sean Coleman. I'm Chris McDonald. And I'm Rob Parker. We are crime authors. Well, I'm a publisher too. And I'm a giggling buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> We are the Blood Brothers, and this is our podcast. Every week we speak to the best and brightest in the world of crime fiction. And embarrass ourselves hugely. No, that's just you. Yeah, definitely just you. Great. Coming to you from the Pod Dojo Network. And sponsored by Red Dog Press. We've got new episodes heading your way all the time. With giveaways and games. Interviews and insight. And laughter. Lots of laughter. Check us out now. On all your favourite streaming services. And give us five stars, so we can't be our own one-star superstar. The Blood Brothers Podcast, your one-stop shop for the best crime chit-chat. But his knowledge was like liquid gold. People knew it, they liked it, and they could understand that it worked very well. Octopussy kind of marked... The last time that he worked on, in an official capacity with Bond, all right, he does a, uh, he's there with um, with a view to a kill in a background capacity, but and Martin Grace had taken over. He got the coordinator credit, but Paul Weston was brought in as stunt supervisor on Octopussy, and there was a lot to do, many units in which to work, which meant a great deal of planning. Pre-title alone um, has work for stuntmen inside the hangar of course when the plane flies through then the twins chasing stuntman andy bradford as 009 as part of the indian sequence which is filmed in the uk and the interiors of the palace and the neen valley location that was in bob's hands this also gave him uh, a chance of training octopus's girls 
And as he says so in his own autobiography, his memoir, which I will read a section from here, it says, The last two Bond films, Octopussy and A View to a Kill, Roger Moore's final outing as 007, were not particularly memorable for me. Unless, of course, you count the two dozen or so page three girls, models and beauty queens that I had the pleasure of training for Octopussy. To say nothing of the lovely Maud Adams, who played the title role and made Bond history by starring a second time in the world's most successful film series. There's a unwritten rule which says the lead actress should not appear twice in the Bond films, and although Maud made her debut as Scaramanga's mistress in The Man with the Golden Gun, she was brought back because the producers thought she was perfect for the part of the beautiful, mysterious octopusy. Clad mostly in translucent Indian finery that did little to hide her famous figure, she was a delight to work with and on location in India, Udaipur, where we shot mostly around lakes and palaces. It was spectacular, a magical place to film, and we were treated royally. That's the trouble with the Bond films. Life is luxury. The big headache was trying to outdo ourselves when it came to the stunts. There's only a number of ways you can fall off an elephant. The fact is that stunts have matured with the movies. It's rather like growing up and taking everything in your stride. No one wants to copy a stunt that's been done before, and if it is similar, then you strive to make it look better. Almost every kind of film stunt has been done before, so it means a different approach or a different angle. Whenever there's a truly original idea, it's usually on a bond because they are the best action pictures in the world. That is where teamwork comes in. Not one of the crew, mind being dragged from bed at 2am in the morning and hearing someone say over the phone, hey, I've got a better idea for that gag tomorrow, can we change it? But it's getting harder all the time to be completely fresh and original. That's the problem they face with the latest Bond, the Living Daylights, with the new 007 Timothy Dalton. I was away in Africa on another film when they went into production, but I note that the new James Bond is a serious Shakespearean actor. Could be they're changing tack and making Bond more of a human being again than a machine which simply pushes buttons and presses gadgets. I'd like to think so, because for my money the early Bonds were the greatest fun, the most rewarding in terms of friendships. I'm one of the only survivors. I'm often asked whether, if anything should go wrong for me at this stage in the game, and I was killed during a stunt, it should be shown on film. It's a good question. The answer depends on taste, but my answer is quite simple. Show it. Keep it in if it's worth its place in the story. That's what being a stuntman is all about. What people see up there on the screen. If I am going to die in action, well, I'd prefer it to be in a most spectacular way. That would be my epitaph. After all, I've died many times on screen, 
in order to live. How right he is. He mentions there in connection with accidents on screen, and of course, Martin Grace took a serious, serious accident on the Neen Valley Railway section. And again, it's been gone over time and time again, but ultimately, everything falls down to planning. There was a breakdown in communication at some point. A certain stretch hadn't been cleared, and the train didn't go back to the first position again. It just kept filming. Therefore, that particular stretch they were on hadn't been cleared for safety. An accident. Somebody's fault, but an accident nonetheless. And luckily, it didn't happen again. But Bob... Simmons is a great example of why bond and action go hand in hand. And you throw a stick and you hit any movie that you want to, anything at all, any genre. But if it's in an action basis, then chances are they've seen bond, they've taken from bond. That's why the movie works. So, 40 years ago. 1983, I was but a child. Oh dear, yes, a very long time ago. But I mentioned this earlier to uh, some friends. It was probably also the last time that there was an interval in a picture. Um, I think A View to a Kill was probably the last time, but when we went to the cinema, we got some little bits beforehand. We would sit in, the movie would then start, and by the time you got to the tiger hunt uh, in uh, in India, just after Bond says sit, then I remember a curtain coming across, and there was an interval for about fifteen minutes. The usherette came out; she stood at the very front of the cinema. In fact, there was two. That's right. There was one downstairs and one upstairs, with her ice creams, little tubs of ice creams and sweets and bits and pieces, and uh, then you refreshed yourself, and went again for part two. I liked an interval. Interval made a great deal of sense, um, even with movies that were just over two hours. You get a movie that's three hours plus. Oh man, you are crying out for an interval and an usherette to turn up. That, sadly, is a thing of the past. But we should remember, and uh, I wish all of those people who are going to the Neen Valley Railway the uh, the very best of luck with it. I'm sure it'll be a wonderful event. And uh, as we all understand, it is certainly one of Bond's all-time highs. So, there we go. 40 years ago, Octopussy, 1983. Well, that's it for now. And we'll do it all again next week. But until then, bye for now.